Thank you for tuning in. We trust you will feel encouraged, uplifted, and inspired to build God's kingdom with us. Enjoy the message. We are continuing with our series this morning. I better get my notes out, eh? On plenty. 2020 is the year of plenty. Now, when we start to think about plenty, <laughs> what do we think about? Plenty for me. Yeah, Lord, could I have plenty of money this year? Father, could I have plenty of favor this year? Lord, can I play lots of golf this year? Amen. Lord, I pray that I'll have another car, a newer car. Father, I pray that I'd find a wife this year. Plenty for me. But the point of the sermon series is not about plenty for me. It's about plenty for the things of God. That 2020 will be a year where we have plenty of spiritual disciplines, where we do plenty for the kingdom of God. And so that's what we're going to be talking about this morning. I'm talking so much, I'm not even getting my notes out. There we go. Okay. So when Rudolf started the series two weeks ago, um, we started with this concept of plenty of faith. And you know, it's easy to have faith, or we have plenty of faith when we're trusting God for our own things. But we're challenging ourselves this year that we would have plenty of faith, that we would do significant things in the kingdom of God this year. That God would use our lives and that we would step out of faith to do things for God. The next part was last week when we covered plenty of wisdom and we do need lots of wisdom. We need God's wisdom to make great decisions for our lives, our families and also for God's church. And this morning I'm going to be speaking to you about plenty of grace. Now what you can do is if you're with somebody you live with you can nudge him and say you better listen because you live with me and I need your grace. As we start to look at grace this morning, I just want to quickly just talk a little bit about a definition of grace. What is grace? It's important that you, um, for, for the rest of the sermon, that we just cover this. Well, grace, the most common definition, and a lot of people don't like it because it's so simplistic, but I think it's a great definition. It says this, it's the unmerited. It means it's not deserved, it's not earned, you can't warrant it. It's the unmerited favor, which is the approval, the kindness, and the love of God. So grace means that it's the unmerited favor of God. That's God's grace to you. Ephesians 2.8 says that for grace we, by grace you've been saved through faith. Now listen to this. And this is not of your own doing. There's no merit in it. There's no performance in it. It's a gift of God. Isn't that good news this morning? That God pours His grace over you, not because you earn it, but because He chose to pour His favor over your life. And so there's two concepts there. The first one is this. That grace is all about God's favor. Now when you start to think about what does it mean, what is God's favor, what does it mean for me? Well, let me give you some thoughts here. It means that God forgives you of his sins. It means that God pours his kindness, his love, his goodness, his presence into your life. It means that he gives you the Holy Spirit to, to transform your life. It means that his mercy and his support is always with you. It means that he'll never leave you, he'll never forsake you. It means that he's going to supply all your needs according to the rich, his riches in glory. Heal your diseases, save your soul, and keep you until eternity. Isn't that exciting? Amen. That's good news. That's God's favor. And I want to say to you this morning, it's not in my notes, but that favor is over you. That is fa that God's favor as a child and a son and a daughter of God. That favor is over your life. But then the, the, the important part, I think, of this definition is this word unmerited. Because it's such a foreign concept for us today. We don't really un understand to give favor which is not merited. And unmerited means that God will give you all this stuff, 
Not because you have done anything, but because Jesus died on the cross for you. And you've accepted him as your savior. And so as you accept Christ as your savior, as you just make that decision to follow Christ, all of God's favor pours over your life. I was thinking about the, 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 the contrast of it. You know, Stuart, Stuart's a very righteous man. He's only sinned once in his whole life. Ask his dad. But next to him is Sonica. Now, Sonica's got a terabyte of data of all her sins of last week. But if both of them had to go before God this morning and say, would you forgive me? Would your grace cover my life? Guess what will happen? Grace pours over equally over both of them. Because grace is not a respecter of history. Grace is not a respecter of your past. Grace is all about what God is going to do for you now and into your future. And that's why grace is such an amazing thing to speak about. Now, I would love to preach about God's grace over our lives, but this morning we're talking about how do we live lots of grace. What does it mean for me to show grace in my life? Have you ever thought about that? Have you ever thought about what it means if, if, if somebody says to you, show me grace, or you ask for grace, what, what are you asking for? What does it mean? What does it look like? And so this, as we look at this year, 2020, and we want to say that we want to have plenty of grace, well, what does that mean? We're going to have plenty of what? I googled that. I thought, well, let me go and see what does it mean to have plenty of grace towards other people. And two definitions uh, came up. The first one said this, grace is something we do not deserve but receive in ways that are abundantly freeing. When we give someone grace who needs to be forgiven, we forgive them. When we offer grace to someone who can never pay us back, then it's real. That's grace. The other definition said to give grace to someone is to give them undeserved kindness, love, and mercy. In fact, when they deserve vengeance, and punishment. Is it important as believers that we show grace? Is it important that we live grace as believers? I think the answer is obviously yes, for a couple of reasons. The first one is this, that the Bible continuously teaches us that one of our goals as believers should be this, that we want to be like Jesus Christ, that we want to be Christ-like. We want the world to see Jesus through our lives, the way we behave, the way we speak, the way we act. The Bible tells us in John chapter 114, you can read it on the screens there, and the word became flesh, talking about Jesus, and he dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as the only one, the only son from the Father, and listen to what it says, he was what, full of grace, full of grace and full of truth, and so if I aspire as a believer in Jesus Christ this morning to want to be like him, I should aspire to be full of grace, that my life should be characterized by grace. The second thing is I, I really believe, as I was reflecting on it this week, that one of the reasons many of us sitting here this morning struggle to understand grace, why the world doesn't understand grace, is because we do not live out biblical grace. And so there's no real example for us. We live in a world where, where people will forgive you or give you another chance when you prove yourself. And that's not grace. The third one is simply this, is I think that grace and the, 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 the goal of grace is to reconcile re relationships. That's why it's important. And I'll hopefully get there a little bit later. So we should live full of grace. So as you unpack this, and as we unpack it this morning, what does biblical grace look like? What is biblical grace? Now, obviously, grace simply means doing something for somebody that they don't deserve. And so that it, can, it can have many facets in our lives that we do things for people because of grace. They don't deserve it, 
but we do it for them and we extend grace to them. But one thing struck me as I was re researching, I read all the verses on grace, and it, it was so obvious that most of the verses of grace in the Bible actually link the concept of forgiveness to it. And so grace and showing grace has to start with our ability to show forgiveness. And so the first point this morning is grace is forgiveness. The Bible says in him we have the redemption through his blood in Ephesians chapter 1, 7. Now listen to what it says. The forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. So you and I have been forgiven according to the riches of God's grace. What I'm saying to you this morning is that if we really want to live out grace, you know every time somebody harms your reputation with what they say, or when somebody lies to you or hurts you and says something or does something, cheats you, harms you, grace starts when you are willing to forgive them. That's where grace starts. And that's where the starting point of all grace. I think for me, as I think of grace and I think of following the example of Jesus Christ, the story of the woman caught in adultery always grabs my heart because I see the amazing grace of, the, of my Savior as he interacts with her. And that story is in John 8, 1 to 11. And basically the story goes like this. This woman is caught in the, in the act of adultery and they bring her before Jesus and this crowd begins to gather. And they, be, they say to Jesus, what? should we do to her? And they're trying to trick him because the point is, is that according to their custom, according to their laws, that they had to stone her to death. And so now they're testing Jesus. And Jesus looks at them and he says to them, you know what? Here's the deal. You who are without sin, you throw the first stone. And slowly but surely, this crowd begins to disperse. It says with the older ones. Maybe it's because the older you get, the more you sin. And then the younger ones. And then Jesus turns to her in John 8, verses 10. He says, Jesus stood up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, sin no more. And there we get the heart of grace. There we get the heart of grace. It's the ability to forgive. It's the willingness to forgive. It's a heart to forgive. It's a, it's a lifestyle, a consistency to want to forgive. And so if we want to walk in plenty of grace this year, we're going to have to put on hearts and lifestyles which are rich in forgiveness. As you unpack forgiveness, you start to see that the Bible teaches a lot about forgiveness, but I think there's three really important points about forgiveness that we need to understand. Colossians 3, 12 to 13 says this, put on then, that's a very important part of these scriptures, put on there, it means it's choice. It means you choose. You and I choose it. As God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, and you also must forgive. And the point here is that, that forgiveness is a choice. It, it's, a li it's a choice of lifestyle. It's a choice of attitude. It's a choice of consistency. The second aspect about forgiveness that I think is very important is in Matthew 18, Peter asked Jesus a question, and he says to him, in verse 21 there, he says, then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Now the point is, this, this is what he's asking. He's saying, how often, when Brendan sins the same thing over and over towards me, how many times must I forgive Brendan? Seven times. You know, that sounds like quite a good number. Yeah? And Jesus turns to him and he says, no, 70 times. 
times seven or 77 times, depending on the translation you're reading. And, and then the, the number's irrespective. What Jesus is saying is that, Peter, your forgiveness to that man is limitless. There's no number to count how many times you should forgive him. Because there should be a consistency in your heart to want to forgive him. And so we see that forgiveness is limitless. Late as, as that story unfolds, Jesus begins to teach on forgiveness. And he tells a story about a king who, who there's a guy who owes him lots of money. And in fact, when you look at how much money he owes him, he owes him so much money he'll never be able to repay it. But the king in his, great, in, in his grace forgives him of all his debt and sends him home. And on the way home, he stops a man who owes him 10 bucks. And he grabs this man against the wall and he says, you owe me 10 rand. And he throws him into prison. And then we pick up the story here in uh, Matthew 18, 32. And then the king, the master, hears about this. And he summoned him, the, the guy now who he had forgiven but won't forgive the other man, and said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all your debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master deliver, delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. And so richness in grace, richness in forgiveness has got components like this. It's a choice to have a lifestyle of forgiveness. It's a choice to have limitlessness, limitless forgiveness. And it's a choice to forgive like you've been forgiven. That's what forgiveness looks like. You may say to me, Nick, what are you saying to me? If somebody, if, if Jock comes to, you and, uh, uh, comes to me and says, please forgive me, I must just forgive him. Yeah. I'm telling you that's biblical grace. I can say that confidently because if Jesus is saying, I must forgive like he forgave, he did that to me. How many times have I sat in my room saying, God, forgive me of the same thing, of the same thing, of the same thing, of the same thing. And every time I, I can get up there and go, you know what the word of God says? That when I confess my sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive me of all my unrighteousness every single time. And so therefore, if we're saying if the Bible is teaching us that we should have the same forgiveness as we've been forgiven, then it's obvious that the only way to forgive is that when somebody asks you for, for, for forgiveness is to forgive them. Tough, isn't it? Our forgiveness must be consistent, it must be limitless, and it must cover all things. But what happens if you're still angry and you're hurting and you're still in pain? What happens if you're still very cross with that person? Well, I don't think that forgiveness means that you get rid of all of that. I'll tell you why. Because the Bible teaches me that God saved us whilst we were still sinners. Okay, what does that mean? It means that God didn't sweep under the carpet that we were sinners. He didn't sweep under the carpet that we rejected him, that we rebelled against him. But he made a choice of knowing all of that. He made the choice to still forgive us. And so when I bring that back to my life, then, then it would be wrong to expect anybody just to, to forget all things and just to move on and forgive. But it will be right that as you feel these things and as it's raw in your life, you make the choice to forgive. And then healing will come. But to wait for, for the feeling of forgiveness to come before you forgive is not biblical. What's biblical is the choice to forgive. And then trust God for the feeling of forgiveness to come. I was thinking about it and I thought, you know, what, what, what am I telling you this morning? That if uh, Elizabeth does, lies to me and comes and says, Dad, I lied to you today, will you forgive me? Yep, my answer should be, 
Yes, my angel, I forgive you. And if she does it tomorrow, yes, my angel, I forgive you. So here's the question. When I forgive people, do, can I expect them to change? There's three answers to that. No. Yes, before I forgive them. Or I forgive them, and then I expect change. Well, I think when you start to unpack the story of the woman caught in adultery, it answers our question for us. Because the story there tells us that Jesus, she came to Jesus, she, she was before Jesus, and she was supposed to be stoned to death, and she was supposed to, the, the, what she deserved was death. But Jesus poured grace over her life, and then what did he say to her? Sin no more. And so grace came, and then an expectation to change. You know, say, well, that's one example. I want to give you another example. You know, when you give your life to Christ, it's unmerited favor. It means that you come as you are. And Jesus will pour his grace, God will pour his grace over your life. But then what happens? He expects you to be transformed into the image of his son. And so we see this principle. Is it right not to tell people what they need to change? I think it's wrong. I'll tell you why I think it's wrong. Because forgiveness is all about restoring a relationship. Why did God forgive you and me? so that our relationship with him could be restored. And therefore, if you extrapolate that into our lives, why would I want to forgive Stuart? Because I want to restore the relationship I have with Stuart. And so this notion that you can forgive and never have a relationship with him, I think is unbiblical. As hard as that sounds, I think the biblical standard for grace and forgiveness shows us that our goal in forgiving people is so that we bring back and we restore a relationship with them. And so I think it would be wrong not to tell them what changes are required because they're going to just do it again and they're going to break that relationship again and you're going to be sitting in the same place. But our problem is this. We like to tell people they must change first, then we'll forgive them. How many times have you thought that? Well, if I see this change then, I'm going to consider whether I change my attitude towards them. Imagine God did that to us. Imagine God said to, said to Donnie, Donnie, when you've proved your righteousness and your faithfulness, I'll forgive you then. You see, the order of expecting of change is important. The order is this, grace, then change. Okay, so what does that look like in our lives today? So Elizabeth is lying to me. What I should do when she comes and asks for forgiveness, I should say to her, I forgive you. I restore this relationship. I love you. But let me explain to you that if you lie to me, it breaks trust. And I want you to stop lying because if, if you lie to me, we're going to be back in this place and our, our relationship will be strained. Okay, so I want you to stop it. And I, I, I'm almost went to my next point. And that's what true grace looks like. The ability to communicate, not only that you're forgiven, and that there's a, a desire for the relationship to be restored, but the ability to communicate what needs to change to keep that relationship there. Phew. I want to encourage you this morning. In 2020, you can be a grace giver. In 2020, you can be the reconciler. You can be the one that, that restores because you're full of grace and rich in it. I'm not even nowhere near my... There we go. So what, I'm, what, what I believe biblical grace looks like is, is, is when you will forgive, not because there's merit, but you forgive because you've been forgiven and with unmerited favor. 
But then you take it to the next step and you start to talk about the change that's required. And the third step that I see in biblical grace is that grace empowers change. Grace empowers change. Why do I say that? Because when I look at the way God dealt with me, the Bible tells me that God forgave me of all my sins. He restored the relationship. He communicated that I need to be transformed into the image of my son. And then what did he do? He gave me the Holy Spirit to be able to change. And so when I look at that and I look at, at, at I want to extend biblical grace to people. I want grace and forgiveness to flow out of my life towards people. Then it's, then it's obvious if I want to follow the pattern that I see in the Bible, it should be like this. Elizabeth, I don't want you to lie to me, but let me ask you this question. What can I do to help you change this behavior? How do I help you so that this thing is no longer a part of your life? And I, as you think about that, it may cost you money, it may cost you time, it may cost you effort. But it cost God his son. And so we see that there's a, there's a responsibility. This is what I think biblical grace looks like when I look at the story of the woman caught in adultery and when I look at how God poured grace over my life. Biblical grace is when somebody comes to you and says, forgive me, and you forgive them first. You pour grace, unmerited favor over their life. You then communicate what needs to change so that you don't get back into that space. And then you ask the question, how do I empower you to make this change? That's true biblical grace. I was thinking a lot about it. And um, uh, you know, if you look at Romans 1.5, it says, through whom we've received grace and apostleship to bring about obedience. You see, we receive grace and apostleship to do what for us? To bring about obedience. You see, what does grace do? It empowers obedience. It empowers change. Then you look at 2 Corinthians 9, 8. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. What does the, the abundance of grace do in your life? It makes, you abundantly in good, it makes you abundant in good work. You see, the abundance of grace changes something in you and empowers you to change into a person that does good work. And so there's power in grace that empowers I was thinking about um, when it happened to me, the first time I experienced grace like this really was I worked one of my first jobs and uh, I was pl working on a computer, look it was long ago and so I'm not too sure, it was probably a Commodore 64, something like that. And uh, I got into the back end, I don't know what I was doing. Anyway, so I thought I was very smart and I got to all these, I don't know what, I, don't know what I was doing. While I was doing that, my boss walked in and he saw what I was doing. <laughs> and he looked at me and he said, do you know what you're doing? So I said, no, I've got no idea. He said, you know what? You could actually bring our whole system down with what you're doing. I, sh I should actually put you through a disciplinary hearing because you've got no right to be messing at that space. Yo, so I said to him, I'm so sorry. I'm, I'm sorry. You know, okay, I, I shouldn't have done that. I'm, I'm aware of that. And then he poured grace of life. You know what he said to me? He said, I'm, it's okay. It's okay. You don't do it again. But here's what I'll do. If you really have an interest in the back end stuff, Come and sit with me every half an hour a day and I'll show you what it's all about. There's grace. Eh? The overwhelming feeling I got as I prepared was, oh my goodness, Lord, this is tough. But the Lord reminded me of 2 Corinthians 12, 9. My grace is sufficient for you. 
For my power is made perfect in your weakness. And so I realized that grace is also supernatural. It's not natural, it's supernatural. That if we really want to live this kind of grace, we really need to trust the Spirit of God in us. We really need to make choices of faith. We really, when we don't feel like it, we have to make that choice and say, Lord, Holy Spirit, would you give me the strength and the power to make a decision to show grace here? Not just forgive them, but also ask, show, communicate the change. But also, Lord, how do I help you? I've a few times in my life been able to live this in my own personal experience. And, and I, was, I was reflecting about it, and I thought, I, it's not that I knew it, it was just by God's grace. But I remember that uh, there was somebody very close to me, and I, was, and I shared a lot of personal stuff with them. And, and then, um, for some reason, they just turned all that against me. And it really hurt a lot. It really hurt a lot. And I, I remember just praying through it. And I, I remember God saying, just leave it. Leave it with me. Leave it with me. About two years later, that person phoned me one day and said, I was wrong. For, would you forgive me? So it was easy for me to say, yep, I'll forgive you. Because I wanted that relationship restored. I missed them. But then I said to them, I said, you know what? I, I want this relationship to be restored, but you know what I'd really like is if you understand that I can't share personal information with you. I, I, I'm your friend and I want us to be close, and we're still close today, but I don't share, share personal information with them. And, and they said, no, that's fine because that's going to help me. It's going to help me not get myself into a position where I'll, 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 I'll mis, mis, abuse the trust that you've given me. And I started to realize that, that you know, there's stuff I can do to empower people to get things right so that it doesn't hurt the relationships that we're in. Another one was um, a business deal I was in, and, and, and we'd signed some agreements and all that kind of stuff, and then the guy renegated on it all, and I, I actually had to pay it all. And I remember saying to God, God, I'm going to pay it, but I don't know, I'll sell my dog. I don't know what I'm going to do. I don't have the money. And God, you're going to have to help me. And God did. God was very gracious to, towards me. But I remember him coming to me and saying, you know, would you forgive me? I was wrong. And it was easy for me, again, by God's grace, to say, it's, it's fine. The relationship's more important. I forgive you. But please understand, I'm not, money, and, uh, me and you and money, we're gonna, we, we can't go down that route again. And, he's, and, and it was right. Because it, it, it helped us to restore that relationship and never get back into that situation again. I had a girlfriend once who used to who manipulate me. Yeah. <laughs> she used to phone me at 12 o'clock night and say, I'm going to kill myself. You know? And I'd rush there, and it was crazy. And eventually one night she phoned me and said, I'm going to kill myself. And I said to her, listen, let me explain something to you. I really do like you, but you can't manipulate me like this. Okay, so you must do what you want to do, but this is what I want to tell you. Okay, is that this pushes me away from you. And I don't want that. Okay, if you really are struggling with suicide, how do I help you? And then she said, no, it's just, it's just to get attention. And I thought, sure, okay. But I start to see that there's power in forgiveness, in communication, and a willingness to want to help. There's power in it to restore relationships. Why is this a big deal? Why is it important? I think it's important because I think it will impact your relationships. I think it will change your life. Think of all the strange relationships you have. Think of all the broken relationships you have and what's it going to take to restore them is probably forgiveness but in the right order to say Roger I really forgive you 
The relationship's great. Uh, you know what? Let me just explain to you why this is so painful for me. And Raj, how, how, do, how do I help you? How do you help me that we don't get to this place again? Imagine that your family would be like that, your workplace would be like that, your colleagues. Imagine the impact it will have on your relationships. The second thing, and this is what really I want to trust God to challenge us with this year, is imagine what the church would be like if this was the place where you can come and confess your sins and find grace. But the truth be told, most of us don't feel comfortable to share our own struggles with those around us sitting in God's church for the fear of judgment. Imagine this could be a place where we could share our hearts and somebody would say, say, Mignon, I'll pick on you. Mignon, that isn't right. But just God's grace. God will forgive you. Man, how do we change this in your life? How do we change this in your life? But just the opportunity, I believe, of grace in our lives. I think the world struggles with the grace of God because it doesn't see the grace of God. My eldest daughter, which is a, my adopted daughter, Always says to me, Dad, you know what? I never understood God until I had a father. How is the world supposed to understand grace? If we as God's church can't live grace into the world. Most of us, most of us sitting here probably struggle with this concept that God unmeritedly, it's not got to do with my performance, loves me and forgives me. Imagine the potential of, of a colleague who hurts you in the workplace and you extend true biblical grace. It's, I forgive you. Let's stall the relationship. This is what I think must change. How do I help you? Imagine when that person turns around and says to you, why did you do that for me? And you can say, because Jesus did that for me. I think there's power in grace. And may God help us to be full of grace this year full of biblical grace, full of biblical forgiveness. And may it be plenty in our lives this year. In Jesus' name, amen.